Hi comrades, and welcome back to Marxist Voice, the podcast of the IMT in Britain. In the run-up to the anniversary of the Russian Revolution, but also in the run-up to this year's Revolution Festival, the School of Communism, we will be publishing for the first time as a podcast this six-part series by Alan Woods on the Russian Revolution. From February 1917 to the seizure of power by the Bolsheviks and the working class, Alan will take us through some of the most important lessons that communists must learn today in order to take the struggle forward. But if you want to hear more, then come along to this year's Revolution Festival, where we will hear topics such as the Soviet economy, how it worked and how it didn't, was Mao really communist, and how communists approach questions like the Ukraine war. To get your tickets, head to revolutionfestival.co.uk forward slash tickets and join us at this year's Revolution Festival, the School of Communism. After the defeat of the workers during the July days, a very difficult period opened up for the Bolshevik party. The whole pendulum now swung violently to the right. The forces of reaction, which had remained uh, beneath the surface following the February Revolution, now began to come forward with a flood of confidence as a result of the defeat suffered by the left wing. Uh, They were, of course, the reactionary forces received assistance uh, actively and particularly uh, in secret from the reformist leaders, the right-wing leaders, the Mensheviks and the SRs of the Soviets, who, of course, uh, had quite a shock, quite a fright during the July events and were also filled with feelings of revenge and hatred towards uh, the Bolsheviks. The Bolshevik party in these days was persecuted Uh, Pravda had been uh, smashed, smashed up. The Bolshevik propagandists and activists were actively pursued, hunted, uh, beaten, arrested. Lenin and Zinoviev were in uh, forced exile, in hiding in in Finland, as a matter of fact. And Trotsky himself, by the way, uh, came out uh, publicly during, during this very difficult period a dangerous period, publicly came forward with a declaration of solidarity with the, with the Bolsheviks. He formerly was not, still not a member of the party at this time. He formally came to, to defend the Bolsheviks, to defend Lenin against the flood of lies and uh, slanders and a- a- accusations, uh, declaring his solidarity with, with the July days and with the workers and, and sailors. As a result, of course, he was arrested and uh, also put in prison, along with many other workers and soldiers who also suffered the same fate. The press was full of the most atrocious slanders against Lenin and Trotsky and the Bolsheviks. Allegedly, they were supposed to be agents of Germany, agents of the Kaiser and so on. The Bolshevik party was actually blamed for the defeats at the front, this irresponsible July offensive, which Kerensky had launched under pressure from the Allies, the the, the British and the French and so on, predictably suffered a a terrible defeat and the Russian army was in full retreat. 
the workers suffered, the workers in uniform suffered terrible casualties. Many people were killed, injured, wounded, and so on. The army was in complete retreat. And of course, the, uh, the, the army caste, the officer caste, now, of course, uh, came forward, revealed themselves in their true colors. After February, many of the officers, most of the officers, uh, as a protective uh, coloring, if you like, pretended to be in favor of the revolution, in favor of democracy. They wore the, 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 the red ribbons and so on and so forth. Now these pe people came forward in their true colors, tried to impose uh, stern discipline to try to stop the retreat, to uh, bully and uh, persecute the soldiers, to force them to accept uh, discipline, and even reintroduced to Kerensky, even reintroduced the death penalty at the front, which of course, as far as most of the soldiers was, was concerned, was like a, a red a red rag to a bull. But in spite of all this, uh, this counter-revolutionary furore this uh, flood tide of counter-revolution, paradoxically, it didn't have the desired effect. Uh, in a revolution, of course, you have a, a period in, in any great revolution. You see this also in the French Revolution. The same similar process can be observed. That there are moments of enormous advance and elan and enthusiasm, such as the February Revolution, or such as uh, July the 14th, the fall of the Bastille in France, the same kind of thing. A kind of carnival uh, atmosphere prevails. It seems that the masses are, are, are irresistibly moving forward, sweeping everything before them and so on, from one victory to another. Yes, but of course, that process inevitably reaches its limits. Once the masses realize that, uh, that what, they, what they've decided has not been achieved, then of course you can have the opposite situation can uh, arise. Moods of despair, of discontent, of anger, of frustration, as revealed of course in the outburst of the, of the July days, which led to a defeat. That defeat in turn, as I've said, opened the doors to counter-revolution. So that within the process of the revolution, this is something that we must understand, within the process of the revolution itself, you can have periods also of despair, of disappointment, of defeats, even of reaction. And what we're describing here, of course, after the July days is a period of the most ferocious reaction. Yes, but even in a revolutionary situation such as in Russia, Every, every victory of the counter-revolution, every reactionary uh, interval or episode, if you like, merely prepares the way to a, a, a further and even more intense upswing in the revolutionary process, and that's what took place. Of course, the, the, all these uh, reaction, this reactionary uh, uh, hubbub did not, uh, in any sense, remove the burning anger of the masses who, who felt betrayed, who felt that they had not uh, achieved what they wanted. And therefore, of course, there were still strikes. There was still a movement of bitterness and, and rage and uh, anger in the factories. And paradoxically, even at this moment, the maximum movement of counter-revolution, even so, the, the Bolshevik party, uh, which was not destroyed, although it was, it was partially driven underground, began to ga make gains. In the Soviets, 
particularly in Petrograd, also in Moscow, they began to make serious uh, gains in spite of the counter, partly because of it. Now, here's a paradox. You know, it is said that the early Christian church, the, the, they used to say the church is based on the blood of the martyrs, and uh, it was the persecution of the Christians actually that strengthened them against the hated regime, the oppressive regime of the Roman Empire. Well, here you have some, something similar. You see, uh, at this time, any time there was a strike, there were many strikes, of course, uh, because the workers still remained discontented and angry and bitter and so on. There were many strikes. Every time there was a strike, where the workers were on strike, the press would immediately denounce them as Bolsheviks. These are Lenin's guys. These are Bolsheviks. These are, <clears throat> these are agents of the Germans and so on. And of course, probably most of these workers had never heard of the Bolsheviks. New, new layers were being drawn into the struggle all the time, and they said, well, all right, if, if, if this is what Bolshevism is, we must be Bolsheviks, long live Bolshevism. So that the, uh, the repressive measures actually t turned out to be a, a little bit, shall we say, counterproductive. But uh, naturally, this, this process has got an iron logic, an irresistible logic. To the degree that the pendulum swung to the right, with the connivance of the reformists, the right, well, we must add, and particularly Kerensky played a, a particularly vicious role in denouncing and breathing fire and brimstone against the Bolsheviks, threatening all sorts, threatening all kinds of repression and punishment and savagery and so on, which stoked the fires of the counter-revolution. But of course, these reformist leaders, what they were doing, they were like a man if you like, sitting on the branch of a tree and sawing the branch that he's sitting on. By stoking the fires of counter-revolution, they were playing a very dangerous uh, game. By this time, of course, the big bourgeoisie had had enough. They bided their time from February onwards. They never were in favor of the revolution, of course, without saying the cadets, the big bourgeois, of course, were, not, were, were certainly not in favor. And even some of the, the, the middle ground, the middle class wavering elements, they also veered sharply to the right. And this inevitably gave rise to the Kornilov uh, affair, which took place at the end of uh, August, beginning of September, actually. It didn't last for very long, but the end of August we're talking about. General Kornilov was one of the main, uh, the, one of the big guys in the Tsarist army. And around his person, they crystallized the most reactionary counter-revolutionary elements naturally in the army. Incidentally, uh, Kerensky in his memoirs claims that he was opposed to this, that he fought against That's a complete lie. Kerensky and the so-called Democrats were actually conniving with uh, the army officers and with the extreme right wing, as you say, playing with fire, building them up. Of course, uh, once Kornilov began to act, then, of course, uh, Kerensky and the others panicked because they, they realized very quickly that this guy, if he was going to march on Petrograd, he was not going to just finish off the Bolsheviks. That was the, that was the original plan. Deal with the Bolsheviks. He was going to deal with them also. That's always the case. The uh, right-wing uh, reformists, they connive with the counter-revolutionaries and so on against the revolutionary ring, but they end up also victims. They can end up victims themselves because the right-wing don't really distinguish, you know, between the, uh, I, mean, I mean, the reactionary wing, the bourgeoisie don't. These uh, 
insane army officers, they don't distinguish between the, the right wing and the, the left wing of the, of the socialist movement. They're all communists, they're all enemies. They must all be liquidated, and that was the program of, of Kornilov. However, General Kornilov was faced with a dilemma. He had a certain problem. Because the revolutionary process had run so deep, including in the army, especially in the army, there was now uh, extreme discontent with the conditions, with the repression, with the defeats, with this irresponsible, crazy uh, offensive that, uh, that Kerensky was responsible for. That really speaking, the reserve forces of reaction were not that uh, great, despite all the noise and the hoo-ha and the baloney and the, the slanders and the pressures. So they made a lot of noise. But in reality, the class balance of forces still was not favorable. In fact, it was increasingly uh, unfavorable to the forces of reaction. Uh, in Petrograd itself, of course, they had no chance. By this time, the, 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 the soldiers and sailors in Petrograd and Kronstadt, of course, were solidly uh, revolutionary. And even at the front now, because of the defeats and because of the, the clear emergence of counter-revolutionary, this counter-revolutionary officer caste with its punishment squads and its arrests and its uh, repression and the death penalty and so on, there was already growing discontent at the front. And therefore, when Kornilov attempted to march on Petrograd, which he did, as I say, uh, towards the end of, uh, of August, he had uh, a bit of a surprise. He found extreme difficulty in getting the soldiers to move against uh, Red Petrograd, as a matter of fact, so much so that he had to base himself on the most backward elements very backward, uh, primitive elements, you might say, drawn from the Caucasus. These are primitive tribes and so on, from the, uh, the Caucasus, known as the Savage Division. They must have been quite a bunch. You wouldn't like to meet these guys in a, on a dark night in, a, in, in an alleyway. These were real, they really were the Savage Division. So they, they, they attempted to march on Petrograd, basing yourself on these, even the Cossacks, by the way, were not keen on fighting. In fact, there was very little fighting in this uh, Kornilov affair. It never came to fighting for certain reasons, which I will explain. And here you see, by the way, the enormous potential strength of the proletariat, of the working class, ordinary working people, you see. Despite the cowardice and the treachery and the betrayals of the Soviet leaders who did nothing, they were, what could they do? They were paralyzed like, like, like a rabbit in front of a car with its searchlight, hypnotized by its searchlight. They were terrified of Kornilov, of course, but what were they supposed to do? They half moved to uh, remove the, the restrictions on the Bolshevik Party in a limited way. But all the movement came from below. That's a fact. All the movement against Kornilov, and the reason why he was defeated, came from the workers themselves, from, from, from the people below. And above all here, the Bolshevik played a key role. Bolshevik agitators, uh, many of them were, were not arrested, only a, only a minority were arrested, the rest were still at liberty. And therefore they played a key role. The activists, the most advanced elements, the most conscious elements played a role in galvanizing the masses who were willing to fight, who were willing to fight. And how did they defeat the Because Kornilov was defeated. How was he defeated? Not with the guns, not with bullets. As I said, I think there was hardly any fighting took place, as a matter of fact. 
Oh, no. Take the railway workers as an example of the potential power of our class. Kornirov, in order to move his troops from the front to Petrograd, he required transport. He required trains. Yes, but these trains required drivers, and very often the drivers didn't turn up. They refused to, uh, to work the trains. Or the other railway workers switched the, the tracks. So that Kornilov's apparently powerful army of the, the Savage Division and so on ended up uh, a long way away from Petrograd in some distant godforsaken uh, village or town or something, miles from anywhere. The trains suddenly were brought to a stop <clears throat> or they run out of fuel or whatever. And once the trains had stopped, then, of course, the agitators, the workers, the Bolsheviks came into their own. They approached the, these uh, Caucasian uh, soldiers who didn't know what they were doing. They, they'd been told a pack of lies that uh, the, the country is being overrun by German spies and German agents and God knows what. They didn't really know what they were doing. <clears throat> the, the Bolshevik agitators turned up and discussed with them and argued with them and explained in their own language. The, the Bolshevik had people who spoke the Caucasian languages. They discussed in this, but no, no, no. What we want is uh, is to give freedom to the Caucasus, give, give you people freedom. We, we're in favor of self-determination for the Caucasus. You're enslaved by Tsarism. Why should you fight for these Tsarist officers? And the land, that was a big, that was a big selling point, you know. And of course, these uh, savage division types were thought about it. They were capable of thinking. They said, oh, yes, well, that's not so bad. We agree with this program and the, the land. Well, that's very good. You mean you say the Bolsheviks will give us land? Oh, well, that's that's fine. We've had enough of this. <laughs> and they uh, refused to fight. And that was it. Kornilov's mighty uh, army reaction collapsed like a house of cards, without a shot being fired, in, in effect. And all of this uh, work, this uh, real uh, work of defending the revolution, was, was led and carried out and organized and inspired by the Bolsheviks. Now, you see, the, the, the Kornilov uh, thing eventually collapsed. Uh, as I say, Kerensky and the uh, reformist leaders played no role whatsoever in this. They were completely impotent. And all this great drama, because it could have been a, a serious uh, tragedy, as a matter of fact, a, a bloodbath, but all this great drama was being played out before the eyes of millions of, of uh, Russian workers and peasants who drew the necessary conclusion. They said, well, look, you say that these guys are, that Lenin and so on are German agents and they're against us and they're against the revolution. Who saved the revolution? It was, it was Lenin. It was the Bolsheviks that saved the revolution. And therefore, we don't believe a word of what you're saying. This is all lies, which it was, a complete pack of lies. And therefore, from that moment on, again, a change takes place. This uh, sharp swing of the pendulum to the, to the right now gave way to a sharper uh, swing of the pendulum to the left. It is from this moment in time, the Bolsheviks begin to win one Soviet after another. The, 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 the masses turn sharply against the old reformist leaders, the Mensheviks and Esars, and in favor of the Bolsheviks. The Bolsheviks became the heroes of the hour. Trotsky was released from prison and played a key role in the subsequent events. Lenin remained in, in, in Finland for some time.
But from that moment onwards, from the defeat, from, the, from, from, the, from September onwards, what you see in one Soviet after another is that ele elections were being held right up to the uh, revolution, in which the Bolsheviks swept the board. They swept the board. The old reformist leaders suffered defeat after defeat, and the Bolsheviks won one Soviet after another. Until, of course, we reached the, 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 the critical moment when the question of power was posed.